I've, I've been to several shows with dad and dad may have told you this story too, but something I thought was really funny. I, w- I was with him at a, at a Bass Pro Shops. He was in an event and somebody asked him, they said, because uh, they see my dad a lot on, you know, deer hunting during the fall. But they said, Bill, you know, when you're not deer hunting, what do you do? This is Bill Winky. I'm the guest host of this episode of the Hoyt Bowhunting Podcast. And today, today my guest uh, is a friend of mine. Uh, boy, I've known Tyler Jordan since Tyler was probably eight or nine years old. Uh, so this is going to be a lot of fun for me. And, and hopefully, uh, uh, as listeners, you can enjoy some of the insights that Tyler has to share with us today. So we'll dive right into it. Uh, Tyler, you mentioned something when we were sitting here about just getting married. Uh, that's that's yeah. pretty cool stuff. So tell us all about the the new chapter in your life. Yeah, I know. I'm, you know, it's been uh, it's exciting. You know, I'm 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 really happy. Just got married here. Actually, it's been uh, ten days ago now. So uh, I've been dating Grace for for a few years and met her out there at Ole Miss, where we both went to school. Um, so she does not come from a hunting family, which is not was not a make or break for me. I thought it was kind of a good thing. My mom also is not a big hunter or outdoorsman. She's been a couple times with dad, but never shot anything. So, you know, I think it kind of works out. I mean, I'm, it's different for everybody. Uh, you know, I've seen couples that works out great where their wife is in the industry or loves to hunt too. But, you know, she kind of has her own hobbies and she's in a, a pharmacy major. So she's she's got a job here in Columbus that she's going to start in a couple weeks in pharmacy school. Um, so she's going to be working at a hospital right here close to home. But yeah, I'm you know re- real excited about it. Um, she's been here for a couple months now before the wedding, um, just getting settled in. So you know it's uh, it's exciting chapter. I don't know how my hunting trips are going to go <laughs> from here on out. I know the show's called Real Tree Road Trips on on Real Tree Three Sixty Five, but uh, you know, say all joking aside, though, she's pretty cool with it. I mean, she's you know dated me for three years, so she kind of understands the travel and the hunting aspect of kind of what comes along with this job. So um, I think I'm pretty lucky to have found a good one. Yeah, that's awesome. And, and uh, you know, just for a point of reference, my wife wasn't a hunter either. And uh, <clears throat> it's so funny, some of the early stories that I could tell about her attempts at hunting. And, and, uh, I'll tell you one and, and, and hopefully your wife doesn't, uh, end up in this, in this situation, but we were living in Northeast Iowa then. That's where I grew up. And I wanted her to get a real taste for the, you know, the, the whitetail hunting. So I'd help her pick locations and get stands up and stuff, but I wouldn't carry her out there in the mornings. You know, I'd say, okay, Pam, you know, you, you're going to this spot. I'm going to this spot. So <laughs> she, she was driving a Honda Accord. <laughs> and she pulled into a, she pulled into a field one time and, and, uh, it was the wrong, she thought it was a road and it was a, a field entrance. She drove in there about 50 feet and was axles deep in cow manure. So that was wow. in the dark, in the dark, she pulled into a field full of cow crap, you know, where the farmer had dumped Dang. out loads and loads. So she had to get out of her vehicle, walk through all of that, go up the road, get the farmer, get his tractor, get pulled out. And needless to say, I was in the crap just as deep when she got back to the house as what she <laughs> as what she'd been in that morning. But so that was that was one of her early hunting stories. So uh, 
hopefully you can keep your wife out of that. Was that one of her last hunting stories? <laughs> she had a few more after that, but she didn't take to the cold very well. So for her, October was the month, you know, so she had yeah. been, you know, a few days every year, you know, even when we lived on the property that we had down there in Southern Iowa, she'd spend a few days every year and, and sit in tree stands, just enjoy the weather in October. But uh, she wasn't, she wasn't a killer. Uh, <laughs> She had some opportunities. In fact, uh, it's funny because uh, Waddell and your dad uh, showed up one day on our farm to hunt. This goes back to 2002, and Pam had just shot at a buck three times uh, the the day that they showed up, and uh, she'd missed the deer all three times. And then Michael uh, was hunting my farm, and he started hunting that deer, and it was pretty comical. I'm thinking, you know, she missed him three times, and now Michael's going to kill him, but he never did, but that was that was her her full. Uh, I guess her all three shots she had in her life were that one day when your dad and Michael showed up at our farm. <laughs> well, that's you know Grace hasn't and uh, she hasn't really done much. She does want to get a bow, so that's a, I'm going to have to get her a new Hoyt maybe this summer. But uh, you know, luckily here in Georgia, different from where you are up there. I mean, it kind of stays. It can be warm here all throughout the year. I mean, we've had some Christmases where it's 90 degrees, which is and insane but uh she's set in the deer stand a few times in a box blind and she she saw my sister shoot a deer um so she enjoyed that but something that she really enjoyed and then she, uh this this is the first time i've heard her say now i want to do this um but i took her turkey hunting this year and so i took her twice um she watched me shoot one i didn't even take a camera with me because she didn't want it to be filmed if she was going to be there which i was fine with and so um after she experienced that, she was like, man, I could, I could completely do that. She was uh, sitting beside me, breathing hard. So that was kind of the first time I saw her get excited about it. So maybe that'll be a good introduction, just a good starting point. Um, yeah. For her outdoor I saw adventures. the picture. I saw the oh, picture yeah. of that. I think you, you must've posted it on Instagram. Maybe I did. I did post it on yep. Instagram. Yeah. But we were, we were only, and maybe she liked it too, because we were out there for maybe 10 minutes. I yelped one time. And uh, he cut me off, and then we sat down, and then he just came in. It just it just worked out like that. So it, she she thought maybe that's how they all are. I had I had to explain to her that's just not that's <laughs> that was like the easiest hunt I've had in my whole life. But um, you know, it was cool to kind of kind of enter because that's my favorite. I mean, I love deer hunting, but turkey hunting for me, I think the, the a big reason why is just because you know it was my first ever my, my my first kill on anything was turkey hunting and i've been going with my dad since i was three or four years old sitting with him so i think that's why i take more of a like into that and i'm excited to share that with people um just because it was a big part of my childhood and i think turkey hunting too is a lot more social uh than deer hunting so it was always good for uh, my kids also they loved just sitting out there in the mornings we could you know take the hot chocolate and you know, walk around some and talk and laugh and, you know, a lot more uh, relaxed, if you want to call it that, than deer hunting. That can be pretty intense. Yeah. I, and I think, you know, for dad, I mean, it, it was a big, that was something him and I got to do a lot of. And, you know, during deer season, he was out there, the Milk River, um, you know, he traveled a lot more during deer season than he did, than he did turkey season. So at that point in time, when I was seven, eight, nine years old, he was still growing the business. So, you know, not only was he out there hunting, trying to grow real tree and monster bucks um, and doing the real tree outdoors television show, but 
he spent a lot of time, you know, with me during the spring just to make up for some of that lost time, I think. And, and that's why, you know, that's where our bond really grew, uh, growing up was just, was just turkey hunting. And, um, you know, now he's able to kind of take a little bit more time with my little brother and sister and, and do stuff with them, you know, versus, um, you know, what he was able to do with me, you know, not that I, I mean, not that I missed out. I mean, I had a great childhood with dad and he was able to spend a lot of time still, but those early years, um, you know, spring, those, those few months in spring, that was kind of our time to hang out and do stuff together. Yeah, that's really cool. So let's talk about that for a second. Um, you know, before the, before I pushed the record button, we were laughing about, and it even mentioned it, that, uh, Realtree road trips with Tyler Jordan is going to be Realtree road trips without Tyler Jordan. But, uh, you know, in all seriousness, you know, what do you expect? I mean, how do you see, uh, your schedule changing or your lifestyle changing now? I know a, a lot of questions that I would get over the years from, uh, people that I corresponded with was related to balancing family and hunting and asking me, you know, how I could be hunting as much as I did and still be able to maintain a family, et cetera, you know, and, and granted it's different when it's a, when it's a business, it's what you do for a living. So it's not really like you're saying, Oh, I'm going to be selfish here. In some ways you are selfish, but you're also uh, doing what you have to do to get a paycheck. Uh, but there were things that I did as the years went by and, and I'm sure, you know, you know, the life changes that I made, but, uh, so what do you expect now? I mean, you got advice for other newlyweds, let's say some guy that spends his whole fall hunting and his whole spring turkey hunting and fishing. And, and now you're that guy. Yeah. Somebody, you may want to ask me after this year. Cause I, <laughs> cause I, I thought that I kind of knew, uh, you know, something that we're going to try to do. And this is a rule that I'm, I'm going to try to live up to. And, 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 and she, this is something I did on my own. It's nothing she requested, but I want to try to at least every two weeks. If I'm on the road hunting somewhere, I want to try to be home, um, after a two week span. Um, you know, if it, if it runs over that where I'm on a big deer or something, I'm sure she'll understand, but you know, I don't want to try to spend more than two weeks in one place, at least come home for a few days and kind of regroup, um, before getting back on the road. But, you know, something that's different from, from our business versus other hunting shows. And there are a lot of hunting shows that also have a, a family business attached to it or just a business in general. But I've, I've really enjoyed a lot of that as well. And I, I think, you know, while my dad is still involved in it as much as he is, um, you know, we're working on some new camouflage patterns and that's been kind of a fun thing for me because I love that creative side, that testing process of, of, uh, you know, making patterns and, you know, this, this new one that we're going to have come out. Um, I, I won't spoil it too much, but we do have a new one coming out, um, in 22 that is geared toward the waterfowl hunter. And that was kind of my first, um, I guess my first camo pattern that I was involved in from a photography, you know, taking pictures and implementing that into the you know, the, and the computer and, um, and doing that with my dad. I mean, it has a lot of the, the images that I took, um, in this pattern just because I, I, I thought it would I'd be a cool camo pattern. And so that's, that's really what drives a lot of our business. You know, we don't manufacture anything at Realtree other than just demand for our products and then camouflage patterns. So, um, you know, trying to balance not only the, you know, the home, um, family life, 
with hunting, but, you know, just trying to balance that work schedule as well. I just don't want to miss out on a ton of that, especially, um, you know, learning from somebody like my dad too. It's just, you know, I want to take advantage of it while I can, you know, I'm hopefully, you know, dad's going to be around for a long, long time, but, you know, just being able to take advantage of some of his knowledge, um, I think is going to be crucial to just my own development, you know, for these next 20, 30 years, hopefully in the, in the future of Realtree. Yeah, there's there's no doubt that Bill has forgotten more than everybody else has known uh, yeah. and, uh, about that business. And I remember interviewing him many years ago and some of the stories, and I'm sure you've heard him, you know, more than once. Your dad likes to tell the stories around hunting camp, but there was one in particular that cracked me up. I think it was the first, it was the first year for Realtree and he didn't have any clothing. He went to the SHOT Show. And, you know, the SHOT Show, for people who aren't uh, familiar with it, it's a big time uh, a trade show. I mean, there's yeah. a lot of, you know, big buyers there from all the big chains. Yeah. Uh, you know, he, he, so he showed up there without any apparel and he had these naked mannequins in the booth. And they were running around right up until the very last minute trying to get some apparel from the printer that he could put on these mannequins. And it, it wasn't printed in traditional sense. It was almost like um, the pattern was adhered to the surface. And he said if you rubbed the, the apparel, the pattern would kind of rub off. That's right. So he had to he had to keep people from actually touching the the clothing, and they could only look at it and. Uh, he said that he didn't have any money to work with. And the guy from the shot show would come by like a couple times a day and he'd see him coming. So he'd scamper out the back of the booth and he'd have somebody say, Oh yeah, Bill, you know, he'll be, he'll be right back. He'll be back there, whatever. And he kept putting him off until finally at the end of the show, he had secured enough business that he could pay the fella from the shot show for the booth that he had rented for the show. So, you know, that you take that story back to the beginning and, and you can have obviously, uh, uh, a lot of respect for somebody who came from nothing and built that whole more or less industry from the ground up. And and now you're sitting in that position. Um, you know, you're the next generation of that. So I guess my question is, where do you see yourself within Realtree? Uh, what, what are your, what are your day-to-day activities? Uh, I think it'd be kind of fun just to do a day in the life of Tyler Jordan and uh, kind of walk us through what it looks like in the office, what you do, and then maybe a little bit uh, walking us through the whole process of how a camouflage pattern gets designed and how it gets marketed. Uh, I think people would be surprised that it's not just a couple of guys sitting at a piece of paper with a with a you know a, a two crayons and coming up with a camouflage pattern. There's a lot going on. Yeah, people. I mean, it's uh, it's funny. You know, going. I've I've been to several shows with Dad. And dad may have told you this story too, but something that I thought was really funny. I, w- I was with him at a, at a Bass Pro Shops. He was in an event and somebody asked him, they said, because uh, they see my dad a lot on, you know, deer hunting during the fall. But they said, Bill, you know, when you're not deer hunting, what do you do? Like, <laughs> like, like, like he had nothing else <laughs> to do. And people, you know, and that's just some people, and I'm sure there are you know, I'm sure they're doing a, a lot of stuff, but you know, Realtree is obviously complex from just a, a multitude of, of facets, uh, you know, 1500 licensees. And then the camouflage patterns, what a lot of people don't um, maybe realize is that, you know, everything 
camo related, even some of these fishing camo patterns, which we're not developing fishing camo patterns to hide from fish. It's more just a lifestyle piece, um, you know, on the fishing front. But a lot of these patterns, they're directly derived from my dad. Every He works with one designer and a lot of the photography is him and this designer. He'll go up there to the, either the farm, uh, whenever he's in different parts of the country, we'll get people to take photos of different elements that he likes in a, in a, in a tree, uh, rocks, any kind of leaves. And just, he's always fine tuning, um, his, and I, his, his patterns. And I've never seen him not on any other than maybe real tree AP, which I think is really what kind of set us apart from the competition back in 07 when it came out. I've never seen him a hundred percent satisfied with any pattern he's ever done. Um, so I think that's, that's something that he's always just striving for. How can I make this better? Almost like a mad scientist, just, you know, never, never fully content uh, for what he's got. And I think, I think that's why you're able to s- kind of see this innovation because there are only so many different ways that you can, you can compile and, and put, you know, sticks and limbs together. Um, you know, you, you have to kind of always just be, be looking and seeing what's the, what's the next pattern going to be. And so I've, I've really just kind of seeing him, um, especially in Realtree Extra, Realtree Edge, uh, Realtree Timber, and this new waterfowl pattern, just kind of learning from him and how he's able to push that um, has been something, you know, I've really in- enjoyed watching. I think it's really going to help me for a long time on, you know, on that on that front, because there's really nobody else inside the company that has that kind of vision. Uh, for camouflage patterns. And I think that's why we've been very successful. I think Realtree is a good, a a great branding company, a great company and content, you know, for the outdoors. But um, our patterns, I I really feel like is what kind of sets us apart in our marketing from the competition. So whenever, you know, we're able to kind of get a pattern um, kind of approved, it goes through a lot of different fabric substrates that's usually made up of about 12 or 13 colors. But the hardest thing on those 12 or 13 colors is to get those to match on all these different types of fabrics. And so that is really what takes the longest. Um, uh, you know, Realtree Edge, I think it was made up of 13 colors. It, you know, the pattern was probably made in about a year until my dad was somewhat satisfied with the direction it was going. And then the hardest part, it takes about another two years, all these strike-offs and and going up to these uh you know different different printers and just getting things approved to where the colors kind of look right and unfortunately um to get it right sometimes you have to sacrifice a part of the pattern so it looks as close as it can um you know to the real thing that my that my dad designed so that process takes about two years and so a, a lot of these patterns um and some of them aren't as complicated as others, but it, you know, it's a three or four year process from start to finish. Um, you know, we're developing patterns right now, you know, not just the one coming out in 22, but I mean, we probably have three or four right now in the can, but you know, those strike offs and that process takes years and months. And that's really what consumes a lot of our time um, in there. And then, so I've, I've enjoyed that. Uh, and then, you know, for, for myself on the marketing side, just handling some of our brand relationships um, like Chevrolet, uh, NASCAR, 
I handle a lot of other partnerships um, on the UFC side. We have one of our fighters, Bryce Mitchell. He's one of my guys, Clay Guida, also UFC. Um, but those NASCAR relationships, kind of those non-endemic partners that we have, um, like Chevrolet, Hunt Brothers Pizza, um, you know, Bush Beer is another one that we're, we're, we're working with on some things uh, for next year. But, um, you know, I've, I've, I've enjoyed, you know, that part of the business and, and given um, those people value, because I, a lot of these companies that are not in our industry, they use Realtree um, to kind of be that connecting piece to the outdoor industry. You know, we're more of just kind of the glue and, um, you know, for, for making companies connection stronger to the outdoors. And, you know, with this fishing stuff that we have going on right now as well, we have seven or eight pros on the fishing side. That's just opened up a whole nother element to our business. And, you know, we, we, we literally have no time off now. It's, you know, the same amount of, of employees for the most part, but, um, you know, fishing. Now we're at the Bassmaster Classic, uh, going to ICAST in July. We've been there for the last three years, but not just the hunting, but, you know, the fishing industry has just grown tremendously. And obviously with COVID, it's, it's really probably taken off uh, even more, but um, that's an industry that there's a lot of crossover, but um, the, the fishing and, you know, a lot of people may not know this, but dad, you know, his start in the whole outdoor industry was actually in fishing. So he was a, a fisherman. His dad owned a marina um, back when he was younger. Um, they sold boats here in Columbus, Georgia. And, you know, it's been a big part of his history. So he knows a lot about it. And it's been, um, it's been fun kind of seeing that grow. And, and we, we have a great pro staff on that as well and, and are looking to grow that for years to come. Let's look at a couple things. Uh, you touched on something there that, that I found interesting when I interviewed your dad many years ago about how he got started, he was talking about uh, Realtree didn't make any money for a good while. Yeah. In fact, it wasn't even called Realtree at first. Yep. And uh, he paid the bills to a certain extent as a professional bass fisherman. So he would go to bass tournaments. He might win, you know, a few thousand dollars or a few hundred dollars, whatever it was. And that was what he had for eating money. Because right. everything that he made, everything he made with the business went right back into the business. So it's kind of funny that you talk about fishing and Bill was actually, a, a to a certain extent, a, a professional bass fisherman at the beginning. Uh, so you, you can see those roots run deep. Uh, let, let's take a little bit different path. Uh, I've always seen Realtree as kind of a, a two-part business. You know, there's the camouflage development and the licensees. And then it's a extension of the marketing departments for a lot of the licensees. And you're talking about that, and, and I'm sure the viewer or the listeners are thinking, why does Bush Beer care? Why does Tyler care? Why does NASCAR care? You know, what what is the connection between Realtree and these companies? And how how does Realtree create value for some of these, you know, you call them non-endemics, the non-industry type companies? Clearly, if somebody's got a, a apparel, you know, camouflage makes sense. But, you know, to put a camouflage on a crescent wrench, uh, for example, you know, it doesn't make a lot of sense, but but it's done. And and I think people would find it fascinating, Tyler, if you talked a little bit about Realtree as a marketing company and not just a camouflage company. Yeah. You know, our, our reach is is probably is arguably probably the biggest in, just in the outdoor space alone. 
And that's, uh, that's not from a bragging standpoint at all. It just, it is what it is. I, th- I think Realtree's built up a, a history of just of loyalty to that outdoor consumer. And it's shown in some of these partners that have come to us over the years, you know, companies like, I can remember when Under Armour, um, you know, first started and, you know, they, they came to us about, you know, looking to do camouflage clothing, camouflage hunting clothing. Well, we were one of the first companies they called just because, you know, they needed that automatic connection, you know, to the outdoor consumer. Um, and that was Realtree. So, and, and, and another one um, I can think of was just here a couple of years ago, Marcus Limonis uh, came in here and did an episode of The Prophet. I've always been a huge fan of his show, but he had a, a company that was doing some fly fishing and also some tents, hunting gear. But he knew that, you know, he's a smart enough man. He's like, man, if, if, I, if I, I need to make that connection with that guy that's an outdoorsman. And not just a hunter, but just an outdoorsman. It doesn't doesn't have to just be hunting, uh, you know. So he he called us about appearing on the episode and pitching to us about putting Realtree on their products. But you know, just kind of, um, and that's why I think our marketing department's been so strong for so long. Is just you know where we automatically just are that bridge, um, you know, to a lot of these companies and that outdoors men or women that. Um, that know our brand and that are, that are hunters, you know, we kind of just in a way, even companies like an Under Armour, we solidify them in the space, um, by just having some of our products and our endorsement, um, on their, on their stuff. Yeah, no, that, and that's, that's probably the, the, you know, clearly, clearly the patterns are important, but gosh, the power of the marketing machine at Realtree, um, you can't duplicate that. You know, a company could spend who knows how much money to try to create that kind of a reach within the hunting industry, or they could just work with Realtree. Yeah. Uh, so, so that, so that's why you end up with camouflage on wrenches. Uh, that's right. And stuff like that. Well, it's everything. I mean, I can't. You know, I can. Like, I I'm, obviously we're not doing this on video, but I have. You know, right now my Realtree OtterBox case, like OtterBox. I mean, that's such a well-known company. Why do they feel like they need to have? camouflage phone cases and you know back in uh when they first launched those phone cases i'm sure a lot of people listening will remember i mean i can't remember anybody that didn't have a realtree otterbox phone case and uh i'm not not even sure why that is but just that connection is so strong and that's something that you know um it's way bigger than than dad or myself or anybody inside that company that brand has just meant a lot to so many people for so long and it's just cultivated a, a loyalty that um you can't like you said you can't duplicate this anywhere else it's it's kind of crazy just to see where this brand has come from the beginning of dad not making any money for the you know first five six years to where it is now um it's been been a crazy process to watch yeah for sure and and uh I do want to touch on the marketing side a little bit more and see what you think as a young person, you know, what the future is. But first, I'm going to take just a couple of steps back and let's say, let's walk through the process, excuse me, of how this camouflage pattern gets on a product. So we're on the Hoyt bow hunting podcast. So let's take a Hoyt bow and uh, let's start at the very beginning. Let's say that Hoyt wasn't a licensee. They're, Mm -hmm. uh, they're, They're just selling black bows. and how how does it go from that point 
to the point, like walk through all the steps. You don't have to, you know, spend you know a long time on each one. Yep. But walk through all the steps that move that that move that entire process from zero to where half of their sales or more or whatever it is is camouflage. Yeah. So in in Hoyt's instance, and this is a ways with a lot of um, you know gun companies as well and and hard goods, but Dad also founded a, another company called Immersion Graphics. And so Immersion is is different from Realtree and uh, in the sense that it it's a film company. We can do other things than just camouflage. But Immersion uh, has different film, uh, Realtree Timber, all the Realtree uh, products. And it, and it does more than just camo. We, 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 uh, we do business with other car manufacturer companies as well. But Hoyt, um, there's a, a tank that Hoyt or you know, somebody will, will buy. And then once you have that tank, you just purchase the film. Uh, usually it's directly from us. And so um, you know, it'll be dipped, which is kind of a, it's a crazy process. Um, basically it's, you put it in this tub of water, the film is in there and the film wraps around the hard good, the bow, the gun, and, uh, then you let it dry. And that's kind of, that's kind of how a bow for Hoyt is decorated in Realtree. And, um, that's, it kind of gives it a little bit of that, that film kind of gives it a little bit of that pop, um, coming off of it. That's why I think maybe a Realtree bow versus some other ones really pops off the shelf or when it's, you know, displayed up there at a, at a, um, archery store, um, that film just looks really, really good. And so, uh, you can do a lot of different products. Like we do computer cases, guns, um, ATVs on there. We've done different bottles, uh, for companies. Um, uh, I'm looking at my mouse pad right now. It's, um, or uh, my charger that, that connects to my, 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 uh, computer. It's wrapped in real tree, um, decorated. So really just a lot of endless possibilities you can do for that. And that's just a really, for somebody that's never seen it, you can probably find it on YouTube or something. Um, we, we've, we've probably posted something about it, that dipping process, but it's really cool to see from start to finish. Every time I see it done in person, it blows my mind. Just, just how seamlessly it goes on there. Um, you know, in, in that water. Well, there's a lot of, a lot of technology and, and experience that goes with that. I've seen it done too. And basically they, they pull out this really thin film on top of the water and the background more or less dissolves. So the pattern floats on top of the water and, and they push the, the hard good down through that film and it just lays around it. And, and it just like, it's it, like you said, it's a darndest thing to watch. Then you pull it out and it's a perfectly decorated uh, product, you know, the riser of the bow or the limbs or yeah. whatever. But uh, yeah, until you've actually seen it, you'd be shocked. You think somebody must be somehow painting it on there or using a decal or whatever, but it's, it's just a uh, floating on top of the water and they push the, the piece of uh, gear down through it. Yeah. It's, it's insane. I can't even, you explained it better than me just right there, but it's, it's, uh, it's such a cool, cool part you know um of our business that really whenever you do it and see it it looks and you compare it to other i don't know i don't know how a lot of other companies do it um camouflage companies but it just it really does it gives it just a detail that um can't do justice on on any other product yeah let's let's talk about what a day 
looks like for you. Then we'll move on. We'll get into the hunting and we'll talk about some other stuff too. Sure. But I'm still I'm still fascinated by you know looking at you sitting there in your office thinking back to when you were nine years old and thinking Tyler's kind of running the show now. So what? <laughs> tell me what you do. Tell me what a day looks like for you. I'm curious personally uh, to see <sighs> what you do. Man, I, every day is just a little bit different. I mean, I spend you know like we talked about. I spend a lot of time on the road. What? No, so, no, we got to back up. What what time do you get up? I, I, I want to hear you say like 5.30 or something. Don't say I, like 9.30. No, I get up at like 5.30. <laughs> I go to the gym. Good, thank you. And honestly, I probably get up so early just for, like, I'm still in my turkey hunting, uh, you know, waking up mode. So, I mean, I probably get up at 5.30, usually try to go to the gym for a little bit for about an hour in the morning, just because there's not a whole lot of time during the day, especially now that I'm married. And then, uh, you know, dad's always usually got something, you know, even if it's not always in the office, he's always got a project or something he's working on at the farm. So usually I'm the one that kind of gets dragged up to the farm with him to kind of see what, what we're doing, which is cool. That's, you know, pretty neat about having your own place, um, up there. And he takes a lot of pride as he should, you know, he's, he's worked his whole life for, for that farm. We have about um, you know, probably 3000 acres, uh, and, and whole up there, um, two separate properties. What would a project be? Like, what would be something that you'd, you'd go up to work on food plots now food plots or would it be, yeah. Or would it be more involved with the business side of it? Man, Bill, it's a little bit of everything. As you can imagine (laughs) with my dad, every, every day is just a little, a little bit different right now. He's, we're looking at, uh, well, we're look we're clear cutting some land that's not part of the farm. It's 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 another it's another uh, piece of land he's had here for a while. It's kind of close up that way though. But we're we're looking at maybe removing and relocating our offices up there. But he's always either you know clear cutting something, um, putting a new building up there. You know we're doing um, some food plots right now, doing some soybeans and stuff, putting that in. Um, but he just likes to go up there and just piddle. I mean, he's just a piddler at this point. And, uh, you know, whether he does that or, you know, he likes to spend a lot of time up there just with my brother and sister during Turkey season and, and taking them, um, and just, and just riding around. I, I feel like he should, he looks for something to do. I think he's just at that age where he just looks for an excuse to get up there and enjoy it. So, um, did you guys, did you guys get married there? No, we didn't. We got married in Atlanta. Uh, we we want. I wanted to get married there, but she has some. Um, it was really her side of the family. She's from Charlotte. We met out there at Ole Miss, but she's from Charlotte, and so just her family. It was kind of a good, uh, you know, in between point for both of our families. So we decided to get married in Atlanta. So, okay, so let's let's say uh, you're not on the farm today. You're in the office. I see the. The American flag with the real tree logo on it in the background. I assume that's your office. Or else you got a really fancy bathroom that this you're is, hiding out in. This is my this is my home office. Okay. Oh, you're came, at home. I came home for the podcast because our, our Wi-Fi at the office sometimes runs a little bit slow. So I didn't want this to get cut off. Yeah. Okay, so now let's say you're at the office. I've been at the office Give this me a, morning. Yeah, I know. Okay, I know. I, I'm I'm not saying you sat there all morning <laughs> just waiting for this podcast. Uh so what what do you do at the office? Like, what are your responsibilities and where do you see yourself, you know, over the next few years transitioning into, you know, a full, a full role there? 
Yeah. So this what's morning, the future for what's your future there at Realtree? What does it look like? So this morning, um, in, in particular, we we did have we had a conference call with Bush, and then after that, we're working on growing our e-commerce business and developing some clothing, not just all hunting clothing, but um, you know, just doing some expanding our line of you know men's women and apparel on there. So um, we we have some stuff just to approve on that end uh, today, um, and we're we're trying to grow our warehouse. Our warehouse is not kind of built for for that right now. So something that dad and I did yesterday was look at some different buildings around town to put our warehouse. Right now our warehouse is connected to our office and so we're trying to trying to find a place to expand and grow that e-commerce business because that's where obviously the future is and um just trying to to grow that as as much as we can. Um looked at a, a fishing pattern today with dad. Um that he's been working on and those are a little bit more trendy. So you kind of have to have a lot of, a lot more of those kind of in the, in the tank to kind of release. And then you have a lot of different companies that, um, you know, like to be different from the other ones. So you can't have a lot of licensees in that category with the same fishing patterns. Um, so that's kind of, that took up a lot of our time this morning. And then I think for the future, you know, kind of, like I said earlier, I, I just, I really enjoy growing our e-commerce business. I love the hunting um, side of it. I, I love, you know, traveling right now. Um, and I think our content is, is kind of what makes our brand as well. And just trying to grow Realtree 365 and, you know, putting a lot of different, um, you know, shows on, on that platform that uh, kind of go with our e-commerce initiative as well. So just trying to, um, you know, grow that business just in case, you know, you never know where the, the industry is going to go, especially on YouTube and, and other platforms. You never know if one day you're going to outlaw hunting or uh, shooting guns or bows. And so, you know, having that platform um, with fresh and new content, I think is, is going to be important. And then, um, you know, we've, we've launched a couple podcasts as well um, that I'm kind of helping just manage and um oversee some of that michael waddell just launched a new podcast that was kind of my idea because I, I i thought michael has one of the best voices in our industry and um very relatable and so that podcast is doing really well every, every two weeks we release a new episode on there and and uh michael's done a really good job taking taking over with that and and doing a good job yeah i watched the one where you were the guest on it I remember emailing you about that. Yeah. Um, Michael does really well and you did really well on that also. And, and I know I told you that, but uh, you're a good voice for the hunting industry also. It's not just Michael. Uh, so don't sell yourself short on that. You do a good job as well. And, and I'm sure you'll be a standout, you know, as you get older and kind of step into your own too. You're still pretty young. I mean, how old are you? 29. Okay. So just little by little, uh, you know, your voice will become clearer and clearer. And that's a great privilege, really, and, and, and really a responsibility because we need those people. You know, Michael does yeah. awesome. You're going to do awesome. There's others that really do, but not enough. There aren't enough really good, clear voices like there needs to be. I, I, I completely agree with that. I think, in, um, you know, if it's my voice, that's great. But I think this industry, you know, needs a lot of 
a lot of young and encouraging voices. But like you said, it's getting there. There's a lot of um, a lot of young talent out there that's doing a good job. And if I can be a contributing factor to that, that's great. Um, but I've you know I've had a lot of fun just on this ride so far. So hopefully we can continue it on for for many years. Yeah, no doubt. Let's uh, change gears a little bit, and maybe we'll come back to something if you think of of you know uh, something we've already covered, or if I do. But I've been in quite a few real tree camps over the years, and I've got some really great memories of hunts that I've spent with Bill or you know other members of the real tree family. And I know that you, <clears throat> excuse me, I know you've been in a bunch of them too. So let's talk about maybe your favorite camp or some of your your greatest memories and the people that you've been around and. And, uh, you know, I'll tell you mine if, if you. If yeah, I want to hear yours, yours first. first. Uh, okay. You, you, you want me to tell mine? <laughs> yeah, tell yours. Because it's not going to be the same one because you weren't in this one. <laughs> okay. Uh, I'd be interested to see if this is if this is going to be yours, too. But mine, just because I grew up, you know, watch whenever my dad was on the road traveling, I felt like he was always at one place. And that was the Milk River. And um, and so that's somewhere I've always as a kid wanted to go with him was out there just because it just seemed like unlike anywhere else dad had ever been. And, um, I think I was 13 or 14. It was going to be my first year going out there. And that's whenever EHD hit really bad and it killed about 90% of the overall population. And, uh, so we, I didn't get to go for four or five. It may have even been longer than that. It may have been six years. And after that happened, but that was, uh, and it was nothing like what you experienced out there. I got to hunt the Winky Field my first day out there with David Blanton filming me, which was pretty cool. But um, it was nothing like probably what you experienced. I mean, it was for me. I got to see 40, 60 deer come by me. But, you know, David told me when he was up there, he said, this is nothing like it'll ever be. Like when, when Bill and I hunted here, you and others, you know, they were pushing 100 200 deer off of that spot at sometimes midday 12 o'clock in the afternoon and you know just getting to go up there on, on top of the rock and on top of the hill behind the sumford's house and you know just witness some of that i, I would say that if i if i never got to deer hunt anywhere else again other than one place and i had to choose what place that would be it would just be the milk river and um because i get it seems like everywhere I, I can go anywhere else. Nobody really asked me about how do I line up a hunt at so-and-so. It's always, how do I get to go hunt the Milk River? <laughs> and it's just, it's just a special place. It's just a really special place. And I think it's, you know, for a lot of reasons, the hunting out there is, is so unique. But, you know, that place for, for Realtree, I believe it's kind of what separate, um, you know, our content, our deer content from others. You know, I think Realtree kind of made the Milk River and Milk River kind of made Realtree. You know, the rock and and just all those places kind of became legendary up there. And, you know, whenever I'm with my dad at a show or somebody recognizes him, usually it's always discussed about the Milk River. It seems like that always comes up in conversation. Well, you beat me to it, unfortunately. I wish <laughs> I would have gone first. <laughs> no, my, the, the, I kind of suckered my way in early because uh, I didn't wait to get invited. And, and uh, so I was at the <laughs> shot show or shot show or the ATA show. And I, I remember, uh, I don't know if it was Bill or David or somebody. And I said, 
can I hunt the Milk River with you guys? <laughs> and it was, <laughs> I think it was, it was the first year that they took a big crew out there. You know, I yeah. think that David, he'd gone out a couple of times maybe. And in some of those very first uh, trips out, they had such success that they thought we need to really scale this up. So the, and I started writing down the names of the people that were in camp and I'm going to, I'm going to try to remember everybody if I can, but Harold Knight, yep. your dad, Michael, this is one camp now, Michael yep. Waddell, Blanton, Judd Cooney, Brad Harris, Bob Folkrod, myself, and I can't remember if there was anybody else in camp at that time. I don't believe that there was. There might have been, you know, some some of the guys running cameras had had tags. We had 14 tags and we in three days. We killed 12 bucks that were, you know, borderline Pope and Young or better. And uh, we only hunted the afternoons. I think your dad hunted a couple mornings. You know, he'd sneak in along the river and go back into some of the bedding areas. But everybody else would do kind of what you said. They'd get up early and they'd watch the deer from the rock, you know, go back into the bedding areas and the, and the, along the river in the mornings. And then that's where they'd set up in the afternoons. So we would have, you know, six to eight more or, or, or more hours during the middle of the day where we had nothing to do. So we would sit, is it the Cormans? Is that where we always stayed? Yep. The Cormans. Corman. Yeah. But see, yep. see the Cormans now, which I, I, you may know this, but now they're not, they're no longer there. Okay. Are they, are they, are they, so they're there. They still live in the house where, where they're at. But so they, um, they no longer have all that land that they can hunt now. So, I mean, I don't, I, okay. I, I'll never get to see it like y'all got to see it. So I'm, yeah. you remember, you remember Jim Sumford though. Yeah. Right. And, um, mm-hmm. uh, and Tom. And, um, so I, so that's now we're, we're hunting, we're hunting their land. And, um, you know, they've, I'll, I'll never get like with Eric Albus and all them, it'll never yeah. be like that. I'm just hunting one small part, probably the best part. Um, but still it just, uh, those were always, that was always somewhere I've just always wanted to be. And so getting to go there, David filmed me um, that year. I'm trying to think if dad, no, dad, dad did go up there with me. Um, I don't think dad took a deer that trip. No, the second year I went, dad did not take a deer that trip. But being, being in camp with both David and dad and getting to finally meet the Sumfords, who I, who I think are just the nicest people and just thank the world of us as we do them. Um, that's just somewhere I just like, I look forward to going there every single year. And just that hunting is so unique. Those deer change up their bedding patterns sometimes, uh, you know, by the day and, you know, just setting, like trying to make a strategy for that afternoon is sometimes can be way different than what you did the day prior. And that, that chase can kind of go on for the next few days, but you kind of always know that you're in the game. You know, where mm-hmm. like if you're in, in, in different parts of the country there, you see, usually if you're lucky enough, which I mean, I, I, I've, you know, probably 80% of the time you wake up in the morning, you see that deer leave the alfalfa and go bed mm-hmm. up. And so you kind of have a rough, good idea for where they're going to be um, for that afternoon. So that just, that chase and that thrill is something that you can't really get anywhere else. I would think Nebraska for me would probably be the the closest, but you still don't have that vantage point like you do on the Milk River mm-hmm. of watching those deer leave in the morning. And um, that's why it's my favorite, along for a lot of other reasons, just personal reasons, but it's a um, unique place. Yeah, and it was, 
You know, to your point, we had several miles of the river or real tree did back then to hunt. Yeah. And, uh, so it was, we could spread way out and all of the locals for the most part, probably three or four plus families were, uh, scouting for us and telling us where a certain deer came out. And, you know, so there was a, a lot of information. It was sort of like Grand Central Station for whitetail deer hunting. But, uh, the camp, getting back to that, I wish I had a voice recorder and I wish I would have set it on that kitchen table at the Corman's because there was nonstop, uh, ribbing and laughing. Because that's yeah. the crustiest bunch. That's the crustiest bunch you're going to find. I mean, oh, no Harold. Doubt. I'll tell one on. I'll tell one on Harold. He snored so loud. Not not <laughs> exaggerating. We made we made Harold sleep in a camper outside, and we could still hear him in the house. Oh my uh, god! That's how that's how loud he snored. So you know, you, See, you start I, picking on people. I feel like my dad. My dad didn't wake you up snoring. No, no, he's he was quiet back then. No, oh, no, he no was. He, I think he's always been bad. You got lucky then. Really? He, he wasn't. Well, yeah. He's so, so you have to manage. You have to manage that stuff. So I mean, not only do you have to kind of know how to hunt, you also have to know how to manage the hunting camp, right? So right. everywhere I went, everywhere I went, I'd always find out first on the way there who the snorers were, and <laughs> and Brad, Brad Harris was not a snorer, you know. So everywhere we went, we would we would room up. So we would jump out of the vehicle as soon as it came to a stop and just be beeline it into the house and get a room so that we knew that he wasn't going to snore. I wasn't going to snore, but there were people that would pull the wallpaper off. You know, I didn't know that your dad was one of them, but, uh, oh, yeah. so, so Harold, Harold was a snore. We had a funny one on, uh, on Judd because, you know, Judd was already old and crusty by then. And, and, yeah. you know, hard, hard old man, you know, and some of his stories he would tell, you know, were so funny. You couldn't tell if they were true or not, but it didn't matter. Um, they were awesome stories, but, uh, Waddell, that was in, that was his first year of filming and he was filming Blanton and, uh, he already had the devil in his eye back then. And, and, uh, we pulled one over on Judd, you know, and, and, you know, Judd, of course he fancied himself. He was an outfitter and had all this experience, you know, so they made a video of Michael imitating Judd, you know, walking <laughs> like him and talking like him. And, and so, uh, we wanted to pull it on Judd. So we, we came back from hunting that evening and Michael said, Judd, man, gosh, we hit a deer and I'm just not quite sure, you know, what, what we, what we, what we should do next. You know, can you help us here? And, and the whole camp was in on it, of course. And Judd's like, Oh yeah, you know, I, uh, let me, I, I can certainly, you know, tell you what to do next. You know, so he was like puffing up, you know, and we got everybody into the TV room there at Corman's. There was about 15 of us in there and, and uh, they kicked that video on. They're like, no, Judd, you know, we know you're the expert. You know, you're, you're the guy that we would go to for this. Judd's like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So they kick it on, and it's Michael imitating Judd, you know, and going through all of his, you know, idiosyncrasies. And we all laughed so hard. Judd turned all red. <laughs> he fell. And that's, that's what those hunting camps were like. You know, I mean, we hunted, but I think the camp life was probably a bigger part of those memories than the hunting ever was. Uh, sure. The real tree camps. Your dad was the best at pulling the right people. He didn't tolerate people yeah. in his camp that weren't really good for the environment of the camp itself. They were, not, he, he was, he was the master at, at putting together a great hunting camp. Trying to think, who did he kick out of camp? He kicked somebody, you remember one. this? Okay. He, he, he had to kick, he had to ask, and my, it's just not, you know, people that don't know my dad, that's really not his personality for him to have to kick somebody out was uh was a big deal okay i know another one 
So, uh, <laughs> who, who was it that, uh, oh my gosh, who was it that, uh, you remember at the, at the Corman's, they, they were doing, smoking out their clothes and stuff. I wasn't who, on who, that one. Who, who was that? I'm trying to think, but the, the Corman's, they, they wanted, uh, gosh, dang, somebody smoked out their, their clothes at, by the fire. And I think it, I think a little fire broke out. <laughs> and so, and so I think Terry got, Terry got a little bit upset. Uh, man, I'm trying to remember who this. Oh, don't even, you better not even say it because they're probably. I know. Probably I'm probably going to get up. somebody, I'm probably going to get somebody <laughs> in trouble. But I mean, the fight, it, it didn't go, it didn't, uh, it didn't go anywhere. But it, it anyway, that was kind of a, a, a funny story that could have, could have gone bad in a second, but they were smoking out their clothes and I think some smoke got in the house and. It, it wasn't a good deal, but, um, yeah, it's fun. I, first year I went out there was with David and, and Jim Kelly. So that was really cool. Yeah. And then Jim Kelly's just a super nice guy. That was right after, you know, I think he was, uh, he was free of all his cancer and he was done with all of his treatments and stuff. And he ended up on that, on that first day of the hunt, he took what I think at the time, other than Philip Culpepper, I think Philip ha- has, I think Philip has the record with a bow. I think Phillips is like 181, but then Jim mm-hmm. Kelly shot one that was 178. Uh, that first first afternoon we were up there, put up the tree stand, and then he had him dead within an hour and a half. And it's a deer that that the Sumfords had not even really seen a whole lot of. They just put him in there because they knew he was the biggest deer. And then he walked in for a 20 yard shot. Um, mm-hmm. So that was uh, that was my first day at the Milk River, and that was. I mean, it just, you know, it was cool. It was cool to be there for that. Yeah, no, that is awesome. And like I said, those camps, and for people who didn't really or haven't, <clears throat> excuse me, been around the industry that long, uh, back in the old days when it was all print for the most part, uh, your dad was one of the pioneers of the outdoor rider hunts. And, and Dodd Clifton did a bunch of them. And, you know, they would invite people that had, access to the media to go hunting with them and it was to create relationships you know to to uh you know find a, a an excuse you know for the photographer to take a bunch of pictures of real tree and get it into the magazines etc so there were a lot of these hunts that were put together uh now it's nothing like that now it's you know it's the crew you know it's the team it's the guys on the show you know it's the real tree road trips guys it's not you don't grab very many of these outside people and bring them in and say hey we're going to take you hunting but you know we want to you know, do some business with you down the road sometime or whatever. So that was kind of the background for all of the hunts that Realtree used to do. And uh, gosh, there was a bunch of them. But your dad was, like I said, he was the best at, at putting those together by far. Uh, yeah. So. Yeah. Now, I remember, I remember who, okay, they didn't, he didn't start a fire, but the smoke got in the house. It was Jesse Moorhead. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was Jesse Moorhead. Jesse Moorhead was, <laughs> was trying to, you know, for scent reasons, trying to, smoke out his clothes and the wind was blowing the wrong direction and the, and it got the smoke got all in and in, in the house. And, uh, so I think Terry <laughs> came out there and you know, Terry, but he came out there yeah. with a bu- bucket of water. He didn't say anything and then just dumped all the, uh, <laughs> dumped all the water on the, on where he was smoking out his clothes. So that was, yeah, uh, Terry was pretty, he was no nonsense. He was no nonsense. Good guy. Yeah. Good guy. Super good. Straight. Yep. Super Salt good guy. Earth. He he re- he really is him him and his wife both and we went up with that was just it's I don't know it was like 
I was so surreal going up there for the first time. I don't, I don't even, it just meant a lot to me just because I, I grew up watching all these videos and just, you know, hearing these camps out there with dad, you and others and all the people that have been through the Milk River that have meant a lot, I think, just to the growth of our company. Um, the Milk River really helped set us apart in, in, in many ways on entertaining people um, for business reasons. And then that place just became legendary in its own right. Um, you know, because of those, uh, because of those videos. So yeah. it was cool. Yep. So let's, let's jump on to the next, I got a couple questions here okay. left and then we'll, we'll close out. So if you had to pick, you know, some of your favorite people to hunt with and you can't cop out and just say your family members, you know, okay. everybody assumes, everybody assumes that, you know, who, who wouldn't rather hunt with family than almost anybody else. Right. But other than your family, who are the, the people that you've hunted with over the years that you enjoyed the most, just people to be around uh, in the field. Because I think that's one level of visibility that you have that most people don't is you got to hunt with a lot of different people and you got yeah. to be around a lot, a lot of people. Uh, Man, this next one too is going to probably seem like a, a no brainer for people, but, um, but I, I got a Turkey hunt with president Carter hmm. and I, I got to do that for, five years with my dad, you know, we didn't film any of this. It was just a personal relationship. He actually reached out to uh, the secret service did reached out to dad. I forgot what year it was, maybe 14 or 13 or 14. And so he came down and he came down every spring and, you know, he, at that, at that point he was probably 90 years old and um, you know, he didn't do anything other than go turkey hunting with us. And I've probably, you know, just obviously hearing his wisdom and learning about just different things he's seen. Um, it was really cool, but just his overall passion for turkey hunting is something mm -hmm. that maybe a lot of people don't, uh, you know, don't, don't realize about him is that he's probably out of all the people I've maybe even turkey hunted with, uh, you know, Michael would probably be tough to beat. So would Philip Culpepper, but I mean, president Carter at 90 years old, he was, uh, I'd be lucky to hopefully even make it to 90 as most of us would, but he would stay out there till two, three o'clock, start hunting at five 30 in the morning and stay out there with us and didn't want to take any breaks. You know, dad would come in try to get coffee or, you know, donuts to get back at, you know, to, to stop and chill for about 15, 30 minutes. But president Carter was always itching to get back out there. You know, he didn't want to sit around a whole lot. He wanted to get out there in the woods, even if it was slow, you know, he just really enjoyed his time out there turkey hunting and so actually his last turkey that he ever killed he's still alive but he he doesn't turkey hunt anymore um it was actually just me and him so that was uh i kept a couple of the feathers off that turkey actually and um i don't know it was just kind of a kind of a neat moment for me you know we were sitting in a ground blind we had to sit there for three or four hours before it happened and just sitting there talking to him that morning was probably something i'll, I'll just never forget um, you know, it was actually the, our last hunt. I was actually telling him that I was actually about to propose to grace. And so he said, you know, uh, whenever you propose, you need to let me know. And, uh, <laughs> so he was hoping to come to the wedding, but shortly after that, he, he broke his hip. And, um, so that was our last hunt together. And so he was, you know, was unable to go to the wedding and then obviously pandemic and everything, but I think, uh, you know, riding around with him and, you know, just having some of those memories with the former president, one, and then just somebody that has probably done everything, a little bit of everything, but 
loves turkey hunting. He said, Tyler, he said, I don't, he said, I, I don't book anything at this stage of my life. I don't do anything. Um, but I, I tell people clear my schedule for anything if it involves turkey hunting. And so that's just, that's just really cool to me. Well, I think what's interesting is, you know, I haven't been around a lot of those kind of people at that level, but they're just people. They're just you know, people. people. Right. You assume there's some kind of a robot or, you know, some kind of a machine that was emotionless and, and somehow, you know, went through life on a different level than the rest of us. But that's not the case. And and you got to see him stripped down and, and you know, being human. And that's pretty cool. Yeah. I mean, I got to see a lot of sides of the president, you know, probably a lot of people don't see. But, I, you know, for Pete, you know, he's not a uh, I don't know if a lot of people would. No, just him probably even just being a Democrat, people wouldn't think he's just a diehard outdoorsman. And I know plenty of, you know, Democrats that that love to hunt and fish. But, you know, just uh, seeing somebody's passion at, I think he stopped when he was 96 hunting with us. So at 96 years old, he wanted to, he wanted to shoot turkeys every, every spring. That's just so cool to me, you know, for somebody that doesn't have to go out there and do that. But he wanted to clear his schedule for everything else if it meant he got to go turkey hunting. That's just uh, that's that's just something I'll 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 never forget. And so he he did something that was pretty neat. He every every turkey's killed sixty sixty eight I think. And so he has a journal that he writes about a paragraph about every hunt he's ever been on. And so all the ones that he killed with real tree, he typed them up, signed them. And they're all dated, and he gave them to Dad. And uh, so that was that was really cool. That was just yeah, it was really cool. We'll have that to kind of display for a long time. And, yeah, uh, no doubt. Cool memory. And then he painted he painted a turkey. Uh, he's a pretty good painter, but he painted a turkey and gave it to Dad as well. Hmm. So cool, yeah, cool memories. Right. We've we've been yeah that we've been blessed. I mean, I know you you've probably met you know you've met and been around a lot of these people that you know we've um we've hunted with and then you know another one just because he's a, a childhood hero of mine just because I, I grew up playing baseball but was chipper jones and then you know chipper's just always that's a little bit more just because i'm a diehard Braves fan baseball fan but getting to know chipper is just off the field when i was like a kid chipper and dad you know, his rookie season they kind of gravitated toward each other just because Chipper loved real what Realtree was doing, loved watching Realtree Outdoors. And so, uh, you know, I've gone on a couple of deer hunting trips with Chipper. Um, I called in his first turkey. And so um, seeing somebody like that who has, you know, filled up, uh, you know, Turner Field, 100,000 people at a Braves game, and to see them get uh, – kind of wigged out of a turkey coming in gobbling is just is just something that um you know i i think is is really cool you know to see somebody breathing hard and and, and getting worked up um it's just neat yeah that's no, awesome to do this me too and uh, thank you for doing it yeah yeah my pleasure and uh tell your family hello for me i will and, you do the uh, same we'll get together yeah, thank you. I will. I appreciate it. You have a great day. Uh, thank you.